Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Jamie McMahon, thank you so much for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this, and I'm super excited about our time together. So like we talked about before we hit record, everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. So with your permission, we're going to start with where you were born, and then we're going to go all the way up to today, and then talk about anything you're working on today, and then anything that you're working on for tomorrow, okay? Absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to it. Appreciate you being here, bud. So where were you born? I was born up in uh, Canada, in Toronto, in, okay. uh, in a women's college hospital. It's yeah. kind of around the corner. I can there see it go. from here, so actually, did from you my window. There? I did. I grew up in Mississauga. So Mississauga being a suburb of Toronto. Okay. And probably as one of those came from a kind of a boomerang generation where I found myself coming, you know, back to and leaving and back to and leaving Mississauga. Yeah. So I kind of grew up in Mississauga, went to school in Mississauga, went to university in Hamilton, which yeah. is just maybe 45 minutes, an hour down the road yeah. and, you know, kind of move out, move in, move out, move in. And, uh, and yeah, so I've kind of been in this, this area for most of my life. Now, is Hamilton in the U.S. or is it in Canada? Uh, it's in Canada as well. Yeah. Okay. Because there's a, I just, we just did an interview last hour with somebody who taught at Hamilton in upstate hmm. New York. Yeah. Of all places. I think it's one of those crazy. city names where there's probably a million Hamiltons, yeah, right? It's a small world, man. Totally. So, so growing up in, and it's called what? Mississauga? Mississauga. Yep. Okay. So you grew up in Mississauga. What was your favorite thing about growing up there? That's a good question. Soccer, probably. I, yeah. I played a lot of soccer when I was a kid. And okay. for whatever reason, the area I was in was rich with teams and competition. A lot of my friends I made through sports as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would say that would be my first immediate answer. Cool. Growing up, who was the most influential person to you? Oh, my mother. <laughs> I'm sure you get that answer a ton, right? Yeah. Uh, definitely my mom. Yeah, I, I, uh, I come from... I've got uh, myself and my brother, I've got a younger brother and it's kind of uh, the two of us and, and my mom. So uh, my parents divorced when we were quite young and, and yeah. And so she did a, an amazing job. I think anyways, I'm biased, but I think she did an amazing job of uh, raising myself, raising my brother, showing us, uh, you know, both through action and words, what, um, you know, dedication, sacrifice, commitment, all of that truly means. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say that she was um, for sure most influential that's awesome in my life yeah so in high school did you have a favorite subject english yeah, yeah. funny enough and i actually think it was because of a teacher i had okay. and i think we, we probably all have this experience where you have that one you know really strong teacher that resonates or makes an impact 
And for me, it was uh, this lady, Mrs. Pitts. And she was my teacher for, I think, three years in a row, kind of grade 10, grade 11, grade 12. And and yeah, she just had an amazing impact at me and really uh, made me enjoy English, even though I didn't like the act of writing essays and, you know, those types of things. Isn't that amazing how a teacher can reach you? Yeah. And again, it's the, all of the work that you do in that class was not a passion of mine, right? but the actual class itself, I looked forward to every day. So it's, yeah, you're right. The, the people we meet and the, the impact they can have goes beyond, you know, what you would expect. Yeah. That's so cool, man. It's just invaluable what teacher, the connection teachers can make with people and how it ends up impacting their lives and the direction they go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So you graduate from high school and you and you head to Hamilton for college. Yes. Why did you pick Hamilton for college? <laughs> uh, so I probably like many, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Right. I don't yeah. know that we're all equipped to make decisions for the rest of our life. At, very, at 18. Few, very few of us. Yeah. And I knew that I was going to be able to get a job in engineering. So I was going to go to engineering, but I still was not sure what type of engineering I wanted to go to. McMaster University, which is in Hamilton, allows you to kind of defer your major, so to speak, for another year. So I could kind of go into general engineering in year one and then pick a specialty year two, year three, year four. And so cool. So you could figure out what you liked. So I just delayed making a decision. (laughs) So here's a question for you. Why did you know going into college that it was going to be engineering? I didn't. I think, honestly, it defaulted back to I could do math and I knew I'd get a job there. I didn't know where I was going to go. And and it's kind of just where I ended up. I don't know. It was, definitely wasn't by design. I got you. Okay. So what yeah. type of engineering did you pick after the year? I did uh, software engineering. So okay. when I was coming through school, this was, uh, or, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. And software engineering wasn't a discipline at that point in time. And so the there's a an instructor, a uh, professor who had a vision that says, okay, we've got, you know, engineers for bridges and architects need to stamp those drawings to make them safe. But who is stamping, you know, the software that runs our nuclear power plants, who's stamping the software that does all of the air traffic control. And shouldn't that be a discipline of engineering as well? And so I was actually part of the second uh, accredited engineering class that went through software engineering with the intent of trying to provide that rigor to software development so that for you know life critical software that's used, that it has that same type of no, this needs to be safe as safe as a bridges, right? We need to right. think in that same way. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So that yeah. was one of your professors. One of my professors, yeah, Professor Carnes. Yeah, hundred percent. It was uh, it was quite interesting. He that's was quite awesome. interesting. Yeah. So in college, did you have a favorite subject other than engineering, like other than your major? I really wasn't allowed a lot of electives. I think in four years, I got two electives. <laughs> Literally. Well, that would be a no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I took classics for both of them. Yeah. So I, I like reading books. I yeah. like reading, um, you know, historical fiction, fantasy fiction. And, and I just ended up in classics and, you know, Greek and uh, Roman mythology. It, it, uh, it resonated. So that ended up that's by default my favorite, but yeah. it was still uh, by choice. Yeah. That's cool, man. So you graduate from from Hamilton, Mm -hmm. then where do you go? I went and worked at a bank. So for my first job, I worked at the Bank of Montreal here in in Toronto. 
Okay. They're one of the big, the, you know, big five banks here in Canada. Yeah. And I managed the website that did all of the corporate learning for, for the bank. And so basically, if you're going to do an internal MBA or if you're going to do some form of team building, you would go to this site that I managed, you would register, you'd come to our facility and the facility was actually like a hotel. It had hotel rooms, it had catering, it had food, it had a swimming pool, a gym, everything you'd expect at a hotel. And and yeah, I ran that for, for just over a year. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So you leave, so it sounds like you leave Bank of Montreal. Where do you go from there? Well, it's, it's kind of funny. I got outsourced. So okay. Bank of Montreal outsourced HR. And because we were part of the training, we were a function of HR. And I was in IT in right. HR. And so the firm that they outsourced HR to then outsourced IT at HR to another firm. Wow. And they asked me to stick around for a while to train my replacement. Yeah. And, you know, being a know-it-all kid, I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. If I get Fridays off, I come in at 10 and leave at three. Yeah. And, you know, they basically laughed at me. <laughs> so I said, all right, no worries. So we, we parted ways and yeah. I kind of ended up doing nothing for a while. And then I kind of just found myself uh, one of my friends had been living abroad. They was in Japan. Uh, we made up for dinner. He said, hey, you should go live in Japan. I said, yeah, I should go live in Japan. So I think it was September when I had lunch with him. I applied, was hired, processed my visa, and was on a plane inside of six weeks. Oh, my gosh. And, and I lived in um, in Yokohama. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So, where, so where did you work in Japan? I worked for uh, an English like teaching English. So okay. a company called uh, Nova. They're kind okay. of the, you know, McDonald's, if you will, of teaching English here, or at least they were, I think they've actually since gone out of business, okay. but uh, basically they had a very curriculum driven way to teach English to both, uh, to everyone, both professionals and those that are, are learning as a hobby. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So how long were you there? Uh, just over a year, maybe a year and a half. When I was there, Again, I had no destination in mind, right? I was just right. kind of living yeah. and I used it as a hub to go backpacking and traveling. So I, you know, went to China, went to um, Cambodia, to Thailand and, and kind of, again, use it as a hub yeah. and really kind of found a love for travel actually through that process. That's cool. So it was a big adventure. Totally. Yeah. And I, I kind of went in with a mindset of, of immersing myself, right? I, yeah. So it's, you know, learn the language, although... You know, don't ask me to say anything now. It's over 20 years ago and yeah. my vocabulary is, is yeah. completely gone. But yeah, I lived there for about a year and a half. And um, yeah, when I came home, there was actually a, okay, I've, I, you know, you kind of develop a little bit of homesickness. I remember yeah. my first Christmas that I was there and it's an odd feeling because I, you know, how big Christmas is over here in, in in the Western hemisphere well, there, it's just another day. Like it's yeah. not a holiday. And so it's not a day off. Right. And especially with the time zone, I remember waking up in the morning and it just happened to be my day off. I remember waking up in the morning going, Oh, it's Christmas. Okay. Better call home. So I called my yeah. mom. I opened my presence with her on the phone and then, you know, we were done and it was great. And then I was like, okay, now what? Like yeah. I've got nothing to do on Christmas. This feels crazy. Right. Right. <laughs> So I was like, you know what? I think it's I think it's time to uh, to head home. Yeah. So, yeah, made you miss it. It did, yeah, totally. Okay, so you head home, 
Then what do you do? <laughs> so I head home. I ended up working. So when I was in, you know, it was part of my summer jobs. I worked at a uh, technology company actually. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, I got kind of like temporary work, if you will, yeah. and doing like contract work, et cetera. But I did that for about six months and then I ended up moving to England. Okay. So uh, my father was born in London. Okay. So I was able to get a work visa. And so I moved to London. I worked there for about uh, just about a year as well in a place called uh, Watford. Okay. A suburb in the northwest of London. And I worked for uh, GE Finance and Home Lending, I think, at the time. And basically, they were going through a rebranding of GE Finance and Home Lending to right. GE Money. Right. And uh, GE obviously being General Electric. Right. Okay. So real quick, let me back up for just a second. What was the number one most important thing you learned living in Japan and working in Japan? Say yes more. Yeah. And even heading to Japan, it was, you know, I think we, sometimes we build a habit of just saying no or being too afraid of risk. Right. And I kind of just made that snap decision to say, let's, let's go yeah. and do this really quick, which is kind of unusual for me. I'm going to go and make this decision, apply for this job, get it, move and, and do that rapidly. And so then when I went, I kind of went with a mindset of how do I say yes to, to, more easily like yeah. how do i not say no to things that pop up or how do i not create reasons to say no so i think that was one of the biggest um, lessons is to kind of silence or at least not only listen to ah maybe that's a bad idea it's no, right. maybe that's actually a really good idea let's go do that let's give it a shot so do you predominantly not like change i would say historically i haven't yeah. I, I'd say my risk profile is much different now yeah. than when I was younger. I was, yeah, definitely very comfortable and to just kind of do a very pattern centered, you know, here's my routine. Yeah. But now I, I do, I crave change. I, I, I crave new, new. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's like basically flipped. Totally. Yeah. That's and so that, cool. that Japan experience and, and just a whole living abroad was I think part of the catalyst for that as well as kind of going experiencing other cultures yeah. um, while, while traveling that I think that really opens your eyes. So was that what England was about? Was it about going and spending time with your dad or was it about more adventure? Uh, I was actually following a girl. Yeah. So. Oh, I, I met, there was a girl. Yeah, okay. Someone and uh, I ended up um, heading to England. Didn't work out. Uh, you know, and, and it's when I came back, but yeah, originally it was, uh, it was for, for someone. Yeah. 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 All, all the crazy stuff I've ever done in my life has been because a girl was involved. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway. Okay. Totally. So you go to England, you work for a year, you, you said? Yeah, I worked for uh, just about a year. I, I kind of helped GE go through a rebranding process. So they were, they were called GE, GE finance and home lending. I helped them kind of um, go through the communication process of what, you know, managing the change to GE money. Gotcha. And I did, did that from, uh, yeah, from their London head office. Gotcha. Yeah. So you end up coming back. Do you come back because it doesn't work out with the girl or do you come back because you miss home? Hey, probably more the former than the latter, but I would <laughs> say the latter was definitely true. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. So you come back, then what do you do? So, 
I ended up, so the, the company that I was doing all of that kind of transition work in between Japan and England, mm -hmm. I actually ended up and going and joining them full-time. And that was actually ProServe IT. And yeah, it's been over 15 years, 16 years. Wow. Now, so it's, it's quite a while. But yeah, that was my, that's kind of my next, at least my career journey right. after, after London. So you leave London, you come back, and you go to work for ProServe IT. You mm -hmm. worked for them before? Just in a temporary basis. I was basically contingent labor. So I was like lifting things and putting them on shelves. Okay. You know, very, very manual, um, you know, contingent type tasks. Gotcha. Uh, and then when I joined the company, I actually joined as a help desk technician. So I was okay. uh, just one of the guys answering the phone. Well, and... with, with tech questions like, yeah, your printer's not working. Your yeah, laptop you, won't you, boot up. Did you plug it yeah. in? Right. Yeah. Did you reboot it? <laughs> right. What's that? What's that? The number one thing that customer service gets or number one thing customer service asks when people call and say, my computer's not working like 85% or 83% of the time they, they ask them if they plugged it in. <laughs> I think the, the next question is, have you rebooted your machine? Because right. I think that fixes so many things. And you're just yeah. like, I have no idea why. It should be ones and zeros. Everything should just work or not. <laughs> but what do we know? That is too funny. So yeah. so you are you start off on the help desk. Mm -hmm. How long are you on the help desk for ProServe IT? Uh, not too long. I, I ended up, I don't know if it was by chance or however, I was on the help desk. And then we had a number of customers that had, um, you know, things that we needed to help out with. And I ended up kind of being converted into an on-site resource. So I would find myself working with customers and, you know, kind of going to their offices and being more of a, a, a location-based technical resource, Yeah. setting up devices, setting up servers, you know. When, when the plug-in and the re, when the plug-in and the reboot doesn't work, you're, you're the guy coming in with the cake. Yeah, or when they hire 10 new people and need to deploy 10 new devices, yeah. then yeah, I would show up and, and get you ready. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Did you enjoy that? You look like you enjoyed it. I liked the freedom. So again, I was a young mid, I don't know how old I would have been at that point in time, but I actually, it, it allowed me to see the city yeah. because I've, I've been to almost every tall building, not now because there's so many of them, but at that right. point in time, I'd been to so many of the, uh, the tall buildings downtown Toronto because we had customers all over the place yeah. and it would actually allow me the, the freedom of that lifestyle. I could go and, and play beach volleyball or go rock climbing, for example. And I would organize my social life based off of how my customers were doing or vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. If I knew I had a, a, a volleyball or, or a soccer uh, match mm -hmm. and it was in this area, I would try and book a, a customer that would kind of be near there. So I could, you know, piggyback and, and have those two kind of living more closely in sync. There you go. So yeah. you've been with ProServe now for 15 years. I, I've stopped counting yeah. <laughs> it, a long time. Yeah. Over 15, I think. So is, is that an engineering thing? You stopped counting after 15? I'm kidding. I'm uh, perhaps. Kidding. <laughs> yeah. I have to go to LinkedIn. You know what it is? I'd yeah. have to go to LinkedIn to tell me. LinkedIn will be yeah. the, the arbiter of truth here. It'll tell me right. when I started. Yeah. Right. You go to LinkedIn and you go, Oh, it's been 15 and a half years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably that's, close to 20, to be honest. That's but. your math for you, right? So <laughs> what was your favorite thing the last close to 20 years that you've been with ProServe IT? Well, where I am now and kind of the journey is is 
is quite different. I think my favorite thing and what kind of keeps me going now is seeing the team grow and, and helping people do things they didn't think they'd be able to do. Right. And being in a position over time to both experience that myself, to be put in positions where I was uncomfortable, to be put in positions where I had to challenge myself and really grow and grow via leaps versus, you know, kind of a a typical linear path. And then be fortunate enough to be in a position where I'm able to help other people kind of take those same type of leaps and push people and, uh, you know, try and help them do more than they thought possible. So how long were you in the field helping like from the help desk perspective? Maybe two years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was a technical resource for maybe five years, six years. So I kind of went from being a help desk to being a service technician to being a consultant. Mm -hmm. So I would do more project-based tasks um, and I'd be flying, like I'd go to Winnipeg or I'd go to um, Salt Lake City or I'd go Mm -hmm. to Pittsburgh and I would, you know, work with a customer for a week or two weeks or a month on some project to fix their infrastructure or, or whatever the case may be. There's the travel thing kicking in. Yeah, I did a lot of that. That's cool. <laughs> Racked up the air miles for sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. so in a in an industry where people bounce around a lot from company to company, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Totally. Yeah. You've been in the same place for almost 20 years. What's the magic key? What's the thing that's kept kept you in one with one company all this time? Well, I think my, my journey is not really typical. So help desk, consultant, um, sorry, system engineer, consultant, senior consultant. I moved to being an architect, then a solution architect. Then I managed the solution architect team. Then I managed the sales team. Then I started the marketing for the business and I ran the sales and marketing team. Um, and at that point in time, I, me and, and um, one of my colleagues were kind of provided or presented the opportunity to actually purchase the business. Right. And so we did, that was uh, maybe 2014. Okay. And so uh, him and I are business partners and we kind of, we've, we've now had the opportunity. I went and, and from being the, you know, running sales and marketing, we, we hired a professional sales leader. Mm-hmm. I kind of moved into being CTO and now I have a whole bunch of other things that kind of keep me going. So I, to start, right before being an owner, mm-hmm. I'd say what kept me there was, again, the alignment with both allowing me to grow professionally and giving me freedom, a lot of freedom into how I yeah. spent my time and, and who I uh, worked with. And then obviously now as, as in a different seat as a shareholder or owner, it's been about, again, trying to push the team and help others <laughs> achieve success. Yeah, and it's different, right? It's different working for a company and owning the company. That's right. Completely. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a completely different discipline, but it sounds like that if I'm, if I'm understanding this correctly, it sounds like you just kept moving up and you kept moving into positions that worked with your flexibility, your need for flexibility and your love of travel and that kind of thing. Right. So it sounded like you just, you just kind of, they, they, they kept, they obviously wanted to keep you, but they moved you into all these other areas. So you ended up with an entirely sort of a global experience, right? 
with mm-hmm. the company to where almost all encompassing kind of thing to where when it was time to when it was time for you to have the opportunity to buy it you really were in a place where it sounded like it sounds like you kind of loved the company yeah and i, I think it's it's the people too right because yeah. at the end of the day it's it's who you work with you spend more yeah. time with your coworkers than than anyone right statistically and yeah we right, we had a really great group of people it was relatively smallish then i think when we uh, took over it was perhaps just shy of 40 mm-hmm. employees and yeah now we're we're pushing 200 so it's wow. been quite the quite the journey congratulations so you take over in 2014 mm-hmm. and you it sounds like you've succeeded at a at a very high level what's the secret to that success Someone shared this with me, and I think it's it's really stuck from a philosophy perspective. And it's this notion of keep, get, grow, mm-hmm. and and how that can be applied to both employees and to customers. Okay. And so we've actually, in some instances, when I hire folks, I'll actually ask them. I'll draw a, a, a three by two grid, right? Okay. So six boxes, and on the horizon it'll be customers and employees, mm-hmm. and then on the vertical right? And on the columns, it'll be keep, get, grow. Okay. So six boxes. I say, draw an X on the most important box. If you'd only pick one, which box would be the most important box to put a checkbox in, right? right. And for us, the philosophy is grow employees. Mm-hmm. That's the box that gets the X because the idea being that if we help employees grow, they're going to stay, right? So we sure. will keep our employees. If we help our employees grow, they will help us attract new employees, right? Yeah, They're going true. to be a referral magnet. If we have retained, growing, and um, uh, employees, they're going to make our customers happy. We're going to keep our customers. And it kind of creates that whole cycle that I think is very synergistic. So I think philosophically, that's the that's how we've tried to apply things and, and to really build a culture and and try and maintain that culture as we grow, which is you know, obviously not, not uh, easy, but to make sure that our culture is intact and that, you know, that whole philosophy comes through. Right. Well, it sounds like you've done it the right way. And yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if you, and it, and it sounds like they did that with you as you were an employee with the company, right? As right. you continued on that path, they continued to grow, to help you grow. And they continued, it sounds like to invest in you and that's part of the reason why you stayed as long as you did and ultimately had an opportunity to buy the company. 100%. Yeah. It, and I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm extremely lucky. I, I count myself as um, like just all of the opportunities that I think that I've had yeah. in my life and kind of all of the moments of chance mm-hmm. or coincidence kind of, you know, led to certain moments. But yeah, I, I think how the company treated or helped me to grow and helped yeah. me to be the person I am today certainly helped me stay in role because yeah, I had many opportunities to go work for larger businesses, oh, uh, sure. make more money. I was, yeah, I had many of those opportunities, but uh, I felt that what I had here was important. It was special and and it suited me. I've, I had a lot of time at both BMO and GE working for large, you know, multi hundred thousand employee organizations where, you know, I won't say it's you're just a number, 
right? But to a certain extent, you kind of are just a number, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're part of a machine that's working and it's hard at times to see the impact you make yeah. because you're, you're part of a team that's part of a team that's part of a team that's driving a small, right. you know, minuscule element. And so your work, I find, at least for, for me and what really drives me, didn't find it has as much meaning as here where I can directly correlate action to result and action to impact. Well, and, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people in tech, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, they're always getting job offers. They're always, I mean, headhunters are ringing them like crazy because let's be honest, tech is growing and the yeah. talent that's out there is a, is a pretty shallow pool, unfortunately, right? And so they're constantly having to, and, and these other companies, honestly, Jamie, these other companies don't believe what you believe what your company believes. They don't grow their employees. They just go out and try and get more, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they, you know, I mean, some of the, you know this, some of the offers that are out there are just incredible. And yeah. people jump at them because they're at a place where they don't feel fulfilled like you did. So let me ask you this. When they approached you in 2014 to buy the company, how did that make you feel? I've never been asked that before. <laughs> I, 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 the first thing was probably lucky, fortunate, right, to be in the position, yeah. and to, you know, also both from my upbringing, because I mean, you have to go to banks and you have to borrow yeah. money and take a lot yeah. of risks, and I had to talk with my wife and be like, okay, if we do this if it goes well okay great but if it doesn't here's right. the risk right we have our house we have like and, and so uh, it it certainly gets you thinking about things in a way that you've never had to before right? whenever you uh, when you job, things are just yeah. secure right yeah but yeah i would say immediately it was like oh interesting and then it was like this is scary <laughs> this is unlike anything that uh, i've done before yeah. and i'm and it's a lot of a lot more question marks, a lot more questions than answers, right? Yeah. Can I ask you this? Mm. Did you feel more appreciated than you did at the moment that they offered to sell you the company? Probably not. Yeah. I think again, the opportunity that we had was uh, time based and. Yeah, it was definitely because at that point in time, I, I wasn't even on the executive team for the business. So they could have picked uh, anybody, bud. <laughs> yeah, it, it I'm again, serious. They could have picked anybody. And I've owned corporations and I've owned them for decades. Mm -hmm. And the idea of selling your baby, <laughs> let's be honest, it's like having a child. Okay. Yeah. The idea of selling that to somebody you're going to be very, 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 very picky about who you choose. Okay. So being on the other side of it, being somebody who owned corporations and, and picked somebody to buy them. Right. Mm -hmm. I can tell you there's no greater honor from this side of it's what I'm saying. Right. I agree. I mean, I totally agree. I founder syndrome is to a certain extent real and it's interesting in, yeah from my perspective, because we have um, ProServe IT, which is a company that, that Eric and myself 
had the opportunity to to kind of lead. Mm -hmm. But since then, we've actually spun off. Uh, we have another organization that we started, uh, Line Zero. We, mm -hmm. we began it about five years ago, and that's you know growing at a at a decent clip now too. It's of a size, so that's uh, not insignificant. And it's interesting the 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 differences of okay, this was kind of created. Mm -hmm. And not the other ones, and it's not it's not lesser or more. It's just different, different right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. So, mm -hmm. tell me about lesser zero. Less. What is it? Less than zero. Line zero. Yeah. Line zero. Sorry, line zero. I apologize. I apologize. So, what's line zero? So, line zero started actually as a employee experience organization. So, it's uh, so ProServe IT is the the other company we partner with Microsoft, and we do traditional technology service, which is, you know, now morphed into much more than traditional into working on AI and uh, business intelligence, cybersecurity, that type of thing. We had an opportunity through a relationship with a gentleman at Meta and they had uh, Facebook at that time before they became Meta. Right. Meta had a product called Workplace from Facebook. And effectively it was like taking public Facebook but making it private and specific for a business. Okay. And the idea being it would help solve communication. And so we, we began Line Zero to actually partner with Meta to go to market and bring the solution to typically multinational organizations. So the, uh, the majority of our customers on Line Zero are uh, multinational because we try to help them with enterprise communication. And the more offices you have, the more time zones that you sit in, the more languages that you speak, from a business perspective, the more you actually struggle with communicating to all of your employees effectively, helping them all beat to the same drum, helping them all understand what values are, and also ensuring that, you know, what the culture or the vibe you feel when you come into an office, you know, how do you make sure the San Diego office has the same culture as the one in Toronto, as the same one that's in France, as the same one that's in Tokyo? That's really hard to do. That is a challenge, and, yeah. And, and so, yeah, that was the, a problem that we sought out to help solve in partnership with Meta is to help these large businesses both streamline communications wall to wall so that all employees have a means to, to communicate and a voice to be heard, mm -hmm. as well as to try and digitize culture to an extent and allow people to come in and get a sense for, you know, what is this company all about? What is the feeling I get, but digitally? Yeah. And that's never been more important. Culture has never been more important than it is today. So it sounds like what you're doing with Meta is you're helping them to create a community inside the company. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, yes, there's going to be silly cat picture groups that will pop up that are non-productive uh, related, but that's all part of, of culture. culture and community, yeah. right? Yeah. And that goes side and side with like productive groups, things that are all about, you know, fulfilling the service or doing whatever it is that you do from a business perspective and helping facilitate communication tied to that purpose. So yeah, it's, it's, it's all in one spot. hundred percent. Yeah. That's 100%. really smart. Yeah. It's, and I'll say we're quite fortunate that the success rate for this is very high. Yeah. It's unlike most other technologies I think that I've been a part of in my career anyways, where adoption and how people embrace change when new technology comes out isn't mm -hmm. always, you can't take that for granted, right? Yeah. People aren't just because you build it or because you give them something doesn't mean they're going to use it or be successful at it. That's true. But we've been very fortunate that, 
you know, nearly 100% of the time when we roll this out at companies, we have a, a market impact into, like I said, how they communicate with their with their teams, how they communicate with each other, and how they can establish a sense of culture. So it's an assimilation thing. Yeah, there's, there's a network effect yeah. that, that happens right when enough people use the technology, it kind of creates that FOMO, the fear of yep. missing out to a certain extent from all yep. the other employees. And uh, as soon as you get both kind of top-down like endorsement, and this is how broadcast communication is going to happen via this channel, maybe mm -hmm. town halls, et cetera, are going to be done through here, but also bottom-up, right? How do we elicit feedback from our staff? How do we make right. sure that they have a voice and they know that we're listening? And, and so it gives an opportunity. So if you're in a uh, logistics business and you've got a forklift operator, right? Mm -hmm. And that forklift operator operator posts a comment or a feedback or a suggestion. And that comment or that post gets a like or a comment from the CEO. Mm -hmm. There's no way that that person would have any other mechanism to actually have direct, like to, to know that they've actually been heard by the yeah. CEO of a large business it wouldn't happen. So it's, yeah. it's quite, um, it's quite magical. Yeah. Tell me that's not validation. Right. Totally. And that validation creates cohesiveness. Yeah. And alignment. Yeah. And man, you're the perfect guy to do it too. Look at, look at how long you were with ProServe, right? Now you own ProServe. I mean, you're the perfect guy to do this line zero. I mean, I, I love this. This is, no, I'm not joking. Look at your history, right? Your history, literally your life story has basically prepared you to do this. It's an interesting way to look at things. <laughs> Dude, it's awesome. Because here's the thing. You're all about culture. Mm. Culture is what kept you at ProServe. That's true. Yep. You with me? Yep. So now you're taking that same culture that helped to retain you and gave you a life, a, a once in a lifetime type opportunity, right? You're mm -hmm. helping to take that and replicate it for other companies. This is brilliant. <laughs> I, again, I, I don't know that I've ever looked at it through that lens before and, and like i said i've been extremely fortunate i, I feel fortunate I, again i don't know yeah. a better word for that than to describe yeah. kind of how and where i arrived at but yeah, blessed, i believe buddy. in what we do i really you're do blessed. i think that we you're we blessed an impact yeah but you've earned it you know what i mean so it's not I hope so it's not well it's not something you know it was it's this isn't something that's just given to you right it's something you went out and yeah. earned right yep but the thing about it is Part of that earning process has prepared you to do line zero. That's why line zero is taking off because you understand culture better than just about anybody else on the planet because of the history that you have with ProServe. I think that's that's part of it, perhaps. And and honestly, I think again that the team that we have is amazing, yeah. and uh, the culture that we've been able to to build around uh, performance, accountability and kind of just rapid change. Yeah, I, I think it's less me <laughs> and and more more the team that we've we've kind of assembled because uh, we've we've got quite a few uh, heavy hitters. Well, somebody has to lead it, but hmm. somebody has to yeah. lead it and I and you're in the right position to do it. Is there anything else that you'd like to cover? Is there anything else you're working on for today and or tomorrow? Well, I think the big like so speaking about line zero, it, it's quite interesting because we kind of have this advent of, of a couple things that are going on. So um, AI, as you may have heard, is a thing now, and there's lots yeah. of uh, conversations know. going around AI. 
and spatial computing, i.e. mixed reality, i.e. Apple with their Vision Pro kind of uh, rising to prominence in the last month. Yeah. And we've, for the last, I'll say year to two years, we've also begun going on a journey with Line Zero with Meta all around mixed reality and really kind of leaning into uh, what immersive technology can do and how it can influence business and how it can drive, you know, not just collaboration, but learning, et cetera. And so we find ourselves again at an interesting inflection point where we're partnering with Meta to help people think differently about, you know, not just the vision goggles and, and, right. and how that, how silly people look and, and et cetera, but what the convergence of AI with this type of immersive technology will mean because we're in a situation where glasses, you know, obviously form factor being an issue now, but we all know that miniaturization will happen over time, mm -hmm. but the form factor is actually the optimal. You can consider it the optimal way to give AI the ability to see what you see and hear what you hear. Right. And we're just beginning that, you know, aggregation or integration of the AI mixed reality journey. And so I'm, super fascinated about what's to come. I'm, I'm excited for that next step of the line zero journey and looking at that convergence of mixed reality and AI and how we are going to be talking, you know, maybe a year or two years from now, we're going to be doing this in, in mixed reality. Yeah. Well, I have to have you back to do that. I want to get a, a pair of those goggles. What do you think of them? They're remarkable. And I think you, it's hard to convey to someone like you, I can't tell you say, Oh, it's going to be, it's amazing. You, you, you have to actually put it on. Yeah. To be able to, so I'll give an example. I went on a roller coaster ride in VR and I got vertigo. Yeah. Because that's how in the moment you are, like your yeah. brain is convinced that you're there. And so anything that can actually convince your brain to experience vertigo when you're just sitting on your chair in your office. Yeah. That's pretty remarkable. Pretty awesome, dude. It's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, I, got, I can't wait to try those to try those on. I actually have a friend that works at Apple, and I've got to I've got to get hooked up. So you need to. Uh, yeah. The problem is, I'm going to want to buy them, right? And it's like, <laughs> right. And I've already been told it's not in the budget, right? So it's a business yeah, expense. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah, R&D, exactly, right? Business yeah. expense. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, thank you, Jamie McMahon. Thank you so much for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. I have had a blast. And I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to be with us. No, I appreciate the invite. And uh, it's been awesome. You've, you've asked me questions I've never even considered before. And I'm leaving here uh, thinking things differently. So I appreciate the time as well. That's awesome, buddy. We'd love to have you back. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760. 